All right, you're back in the DFSR. It's an NFL podcast. It's Wednesday. It's October 7th. I'm Doug Norian. Over there is James Davis. And we are going to be talking cash game plays for week five, already a quarter of the way through the year. It's crazy. Well, not for some teams that had to sit it out with COVID. Uh, so they're not, they're not a quarter of the way through yet. But um, most of the teams are four games through the season. I feel like this is a point part of the season where, I mean, we're always learning things along the way, obviously, and always updating, you know, adjusting our priors and whatnot. But I do feel like four weeks is right around the time where I'm, I'm willing to really, you know, buy into most of what we've seen from this season in terms of stats. Not completely, like we kind of work this stuff in slowly, but this is where I make you know, some of the bigger changes in our system. And uh, do you feel like that's like four weeks is right around that feeling okay about what we've seen so far? And, you know, not 100% because you can still have strength of schedule stuff and run bad and run good. But I don't know, I do feel like this quarter of the way mark is where I'm like, okay, I'm starting to at least feel a little more comfortable with what we're seeing from teams. Yeah, I'd say for me, it's still basically based on strength schedule. I think for many teams, say two-thirds of the teams, we can draw fairly decent conclusions. Because really what we're trying to do in DFS for the NFL is try to figure out how a team is going to approach the next game, right? So if a team is a seven-point underdog, if we have any other games that have played out where they were basically behind by a touchdown the whole time or you know where they were seven point dogs going in then i think we can project opportunity pretty well based on that and for most teams we're going to have you know at least one game we can look to and say oh yeah here was the close game that was kind of a shootout or here was the game where they won by a lot or lost by a lot and obviously the further further you go into the season the more effectively you can do that so I don't think there's a, and I don't think you're suggesting this, but there's not like some magical tipping point where I start no. to feel comfortable, but it's like, as I'm adding to my collection of examples of what a team has done in the past, more time is better. So yeah, I feel better always as the season goes along. And I guess you, you make that point because we do actually factor in strength of schedule into our projection or into like, you know, what teams have done up to this point. And sure. This is the around the four week mark is when I, I guess maybe that was part of it too because I was like thinking okay I'm starting to feel more comfortable about who teams have played also because I'm getting those other three games seeing what those other three games from the from their opponents have been lo- looking like and we're gonna actually talk about some of this today because I think it's pertinent but um yeah that's where I'm starting to like be, maybe just get a general sense of okay you beat this team that team beat that team you know and so and so down and so forth so I think that that's or so on and so forth not so down so um yeah I think that that's kind of like what I was getting at as well and I do think this is the part of the season where uh I'm feeling a little more comfortable now this season again is is weird because guys are absolutely dropping like flies uh we have COVID uh we had the Patriots uh Patriots just had a player tested positive today uh, Stephon Gilmore so I'm not sure where their the status of their game is going to be looking like going to this week Titans had another player um, test positive today, so I'm not sure where their status is going to be going into this weekend. We could be, and we already have two, te- two teams on buys. So that's uh, the Packers and the Lions. So I'm not sure if we're going to be looking at, a again, a thinner slate here you know, compared to what we had seen uh, last week, which you know lost the game and then got another game moved to Monday night. So just things to keep in mind as we go. Uh, I don't think we had too many of those guys or from guys the guys from those teams uh, mentioned here in the podcast, but did want, or uh, in the cash games, but did want to mention it going forward that Along with just your general injury concerns that you're always sweating out on a week-to-week basis, now we have the threat of uh, cancellations, which has really never been, <laughs> never been an issue for at least for the NFL before. But hey, so so it goes. I do. Um, let me, let's talk. It is strange with, with, with on the COVID thing too. I, I'm definitely proceeding cautiously at this point because you know, like by like wearing I your mask. Strange. <laughs> yeah, so I don't catch it through my TV from the NFL <laughs> players. No, the 
Well, so like Gilmore, for instance, plays against Kansas City. Yeah. He had three tackles. Um, so he, and he's like, you know, doing bump and run and like doing these other things. Like, isn't and we know that COVID doesn't always show up in tests leading into the game. So I, I think at some point there's gonna be like it won't show up in tests right away, I guess I should say. So like he could have definitely passed it along to people on the Chiefs, and you would just have no way to know. A negative test today wouldn't mean anything, right? So it's very I'm very curious to see how the NFL handles it. And it's not really relevant for our DFS purposes, but just in terms of like the broader media narrative around it, like it was totally predictable that Cam Newton wouldn't be the only guy on the Patriots to have it, right? <laughs> but they just like plowed forward and played right. the game anyway. I think it's, I don't know, it's definitely worth keeping an eye on because as best I can tell, the NFL is being the least cautious of all leagues when it comes to how this is being handled. And uh, I'm pretty concerned that it's going to come back to bite them, but I guess we'll see. Well, they have contact tracing and stuff like that in place, and they monitor that part. But, they, yes, they're doing much more travel, and they have much bigger rosters. So, um, I guess, yeah, from that point, right, well, we'll see. I, I, I think it's a mortal lock that we have more positive tests over the course of the week. So, so I don't think yeah. – if we're just trying to guess what's going to happen, I would say that uh, there's – I would put a sizable bet that that is not the last test that, test positive that we sure. have uh, before before next Sunday. Um I do want to let's talk quarterbacks, and I actually want to talk a little bit about actually it's relevant to what I was saying about what we've learned over the course of the season so far in terms of what we've seen. And I wrote up Dak Prescott, and I went into last week, and I'm thinking, you know, Dak, he's been you know from a fantasy perspective, been absolutely amazing to start the season, and part of that is built on the idea or built on the fact that he was just throwing like 50 times a game, and I, you know we're in our chat room ahead of time, and we're talking about you know where we want to look for quarterback and. I thought about playing Dak, and I'm like, yeah, but I mean, he's just not—he's just not um, a favorite to just like throw for 50 times a game, and then boom, just throws for 58 passes in the next <laughs> last game on Sunday. Yeah, and so I'm just like—it's one of these situations where I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop, in that he's just not going to throw. Quarterbacks just don't throw this much. Like you need so much to go right or wrong in their case for you to mm. to to throw this many passes. And we just get another week where he does it again. I, I, I just don't know where to land exactly with his projection. I, I, his projection is high because it feels like they're going to have to keep throwing at least to some degree. But I do think this is built on something that's simply not sustainable, which is other teams just scoring a million points against them and them having to just, you know, fire down the field all the time. Does that make sense with Dak? Like, I'm, I simultaneously want to play him and feel like we could be buying at the peak for something that's just not likely to continue. Yeah, I think it's worth doing the exercise that I discussed in the beginning of the podcast with Dak uh, to really see what the Cowboys' plan is. So their last three games were just absurd shootouts, right? I mean, <laughs> like 79 or more points scored in each of them. You don't see a lot of NFL games with a 79-point total, so I think we can pretty safely assume that that's not going to be the the path going forward for them. Uh, but we look back at the Rams game to open the season, and I think that's actually probably where we want to be ultimately in terms of projecting opportunity for both him and Ezekiel Elliott, who we uh, will discuss in the running back section. So in that game, Dak threw 39 times um, and he had three carries. It's tough to project him just to, you know, get give back 19 passes, but it's not like things are exactly working for the Cowboys too, right? Like a lot of the buzz has been about their defense, but at least part of the defensive struggles has to be just how long the defense has to spend on the field, right? I mean, these guys are just running up and down and up and down. And the Cowboys are, you know, just they're playing long games, you know, in terms of raw amount of football played with all the passing plays, you know, 
which will lead to just more plays total, right? A higher pace. So I think hearkening back to that game, or at least splitting the difference between that and, say, the Atlanta game is pretty reasonable. Uh, one thing I, I will say that's in Dak's favor in terms of keeping up the attempts is that Ezekiel Elliott has had a lot of targets recently. So with eight targets last game against Cleveland, 11 the game before that, and seven the game before that, it looks like that package is going to be part of what they're doing going forward in a way that perhaps it wasn't in the past. So maybe he sees a slight uptick, call it 10% uh, higher attempts than we anticipated, but certainly it's not going to be 40 or 30, 45% higher the way it has been in the last couple of games. Yeah, Dallas is, I mean, allowed the most uh, plays per game kind of by far, <laughs> and they've run the most plays per game by far yeah. this season. Um, and again, you can you can trend toward the top of that list, but it's it's unusual to be so far above even the next highest team that that's the part that's just going to have to come down. I actually bet the under in this game. I think that uh, especially with the way the Giants kind of play and um, our, our betting model is even, even factored in with pace and strength of schedule. Really, really likes the under in this game. So, still like Dak as a play, and just just going saying with caution that it's just not he's just not a fifty-five attempt per game guy. Like that's just not the current NFL just doesn't really structure itself like that. This isn't like Baylor versus TCU, right? <laughs> like on a right. Saturday afternoon. Yeah, and I think the Giants, the matchup is the important thing there too. Where like they're simply not going to be behind by thirteen points in any time in this game, right? I mean, unless something really comes off the rails, right? And at that point, you just have to think they're ready to slow things down for a game. Right, exactly. So uh, after him, I actually want your take on this one, too, because I think this is an interesting week in trying to figure out where things are going. So Deshaun Watson, okay, Bill O'Brien gets fired, Texans. Uh, the Texans fire Bill O'Brien. Um, maybe should have, a little too late on that one, because they could probably still have DeAndre Hopkins if they had just maybe done this you know, last year. I mean, this team went to the playoffs, so I get that part. But they fire Bill O'Brien. The team's 0-4. Somehow they're six-point favorites, which I find amazing because it's got to be the first time ever an 0-4 team has been a six-point favorite going into a week. <laughs> I, there's, I, there's, I can't think of a scenario. I mean, short of like the opposing quarterback getting hurt or something like that. I mean, then I'm not sure. So that, that line smelled a little fishy to me. But Watson's been bad, but they have a new coach, and he has a track record, and he's getting cheaper because he just because he's been bad. And this is like the best matchup we can get too, because Jacksonville's just dead last in DVOA in terms of defense this year. Is he a play this week, or do we still need to wait because this is Deion, this is Deshaun Watson who doesn't have DeAndre Hopkins? And I know we have some you know we have some tail of the tape on, on that before because Hopkins has sat out some games before. So I simultaneously want to play Watson based on just the old stuff and maybe a new coach, and I don't want to play Watson because of the new stuff and the new coach. Does that make sense? What I'm saying? Like, but the, sure, yeah. So I'm also stuck on the I'm also stuck on the opponent. I think there's stuff on the pro and the con side of, of the Watson debate, which is going to be how it's going to be for every player, I assume. But So on one hand, with Watson, you have to sort of assume that with how bad the Texans have been so far, that this is essentially Watson's floor, right? And scoring 19 fantasy points a game is fine on 7,900. Like, you're hoping for more in the modern age with quarterbacks. Um, there are many quarterbacks who have certainly outscored that on a per-game basis so far. Uh, all those quarterbacks are more expensive than Watson, but um, you know he's. If you assume that's his floor, and you could add four to five more fantasy points just by shaking things up, then I think he becomes interesting. Uh, for me, Watson's more of a big tournament target. I think just because I don't know that a, like quarterback, where if it's going to be the first or second most expensive player on my roster, if that's where I want to be investing in uncertainty in a cash game, but. I certainly think he's a value. But, that, you know, I look up the line at guys like Kyler Murray 
or Josh Allen, who have sort of done it on a week-in, week-out basis, and I'm talking about paying 400 or 500 more for those guys, I think I'd just as soon do that. Like, I don't think I need to really try to thread the needle here and just get Watson at, like, the perfect low price, assuming that now is the time it's going to all turn around. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, and, and some of these quarterbacks, like, you know, I didn't write them all up, mostly just to kind of shake things up. But I do think Watson's a good play this week. But yeah, I wrote up Dak. I, I could have just easily written up Mahomes or Russell Wilson right. or Kyler or Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen. Like, these guys all do exist in that upper tier. It well, was just that I thought. Slate, but, yeah, those other guys. Oh, sorry. I'm clicking through. I have a Thursday through Monday slate. Okay. Um, regardless. So, not, knock him off. That's a classic <laughs> right there. Um, but all the other guys kind of. I'd even maybe start to throw Joe Burrow close to getting up there, too. But he's not in the quite in that group. But the But that group is so strong. This was just one of those situations where. I felt like Watson had a chance to rejoin that group for for cheaper and like for you know for he's a thousand less than Prescott let's say on on Fanduel or he's eight hundred less than, Fan, than than Prescott on Fanduel so uh, I totally with you and these other matchups like Kyler gets the Jets uh, that's a pretty good spot to be in Lamar gets the the Bengals that's a good spot to be in so a lot of these guys are in good spots I did walk down a little bit further down on the cheaper side just to try to give um, a spread of quarterbacks that you could play across different price ranges. And I did read a Teddy Bridgewater. Bridgewater's just gotten – he's been fine. Like The first week was pretty bad, but the last three weeks have been pretty good. Um, he's really dialed into where he wants to be, especially with the receivers. He gets a great matchup here against Atlanta, who's really given it up. He's a lot cheaper on FanDuel – or excuse me, on DraftKings. So he's 1500 less on DraftKings than Dak, and really most of that expensive group. And on DraftKings, that 1500 can really, really matter. Did actually get out and run a little bit last week, which is nice to see. Not hadn't been a huge part of his repertoire, but if as, if he can keep doing that, then um, that really raises his floor. Could you see going cheaper? I'm mostly talking DraftKings here, where that 1500 really matters. Could you see going cheaper on a guy like Bridgewater, especially considering the matchup and that he's been pretty consistent to start the season? Yeah, I'm always more open to it on DraftKings, where the savings will often get you a significant upgrade at a position that matters. Like I feel like at FanDuel, I'm oftentimes feeling like just fine, especially a wide receiver, let's say, where I have a good spread of wide receivers across the way. DraftKings, I always feel like I'm having to go to one play that I'm somewhat uncomfortable with, like say Adam Trotman last week or something like that. And if I can avoid being in that position and take a guy who seems to have a reasonably high floor, then I'll at least consider it. So that's kind of where I stand with Bridgewater right now. Um, just the way DraftKings is priced generally, it's like you just can't, you just don't get to pay up at every position where you want to, right? So, uh, yeah, taking the savings there definitely seems to make sense to me. Um, understanding that you certainly are taking on some risk with a guy who, just on a raw points per dollar basis, has been somewhat hit or miss this year. Yeah, and like we saw that last week, you know, with the pricing over on DK, like Troutman was kind of a chalkier play. Brandon Cooks was a huge play and at 4,500, even though he really hadn't shown a ton of reason to be a chalk play, but this is just kind of where you get stuck. Like the pricing is very tight there and very sharp. And you, right, like you just, short of crazy punt running back situations, you just are forced to make some uncomfortable decisions. Uh, and that's where I kind of felt that the that the savings was material. Let's take a quick break here and then we will jump back in on some of these running backs. Okay, so we have a situation with we have a couple more running backs that went down uh, last week. Nick Chubb is lost for not the whole season, I don't think, but at least the next few weeks. So he's out. Austin Eckler is on the IR um, for the hamstring, so he's out too. I don't know 
I mean, I'm only starting here because typically when big time running backs like this get go down, that we kind of want to land on the the replacements, especially for teams that do like to run the ball. Give me, or either these are guys like Kareem Hunt or um, the situation in uh, with the Chargers with guys like uh, Kelly and Justin Jackson. Are these? Do you find those to be these kind of situations with the the backups here, or have they kind of tipped their hand that it's still going to be kind of a committee? So, Justin Jackson, I don't think is on the main slate either, is he? Am I missing something? Uh, no. So Kareem Hunt. Sorry. So we could talk about Kareem Hunt. I, I guess we'll get mostly in general, but yeah, I guess Kareem Hunt is probably the more material name here. Yeah. So I think Kareem Hunt is somewhat interesting. The, the issue with Kareem Hunt is that he's not priced like a backup. He's seven thousand. So, you know, we were hesitant to want to pay eight thousand for Nick Chubb and the Cowboy or uh, the Browns running game. Um, obviously getting a little bit of savings here is pretty nice, but it doesn't exactly, like, it doesn't feel like I just need to jam him into my lineup no matter what. So it's a case for me where I'll probably just trust the numbers and see what comes out. You know, it's kind of a, a boring vanilla answer, but right now the numbers are not dictating that you absolutely have to play Kareem Hunt. Uh, the Browns two and a half point favorites in this game, or I'm sorry, two and a half point dogs in this game. So it's not like the game script dramatically favors them or anything like that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't feel like I need to force Kareem Hunt, even though consolidating the opportunity could be quite good for him. What do you think? Uh, yeah, no, I think that we saw enough Darius Johnson to probably be worried that it's not going to be um, an every down back kind of guy. So if we're not going to go that direction, because it's usually kind of where we go, where do you want to go for running backs this week? Yeah, I'm going to start with Mike Davis. You know, a guy we played last week who was pretty chalky and. I think for good reason. Like right now, he's basically doing a poor man's Christian McCaffrey impersonation. Um, over the last three games, he's got 23 total targets. So he's very prominently involved in that passing game with Bridgewater. Uh, last game, he had 16 carries as well. Turned those into 84 yards and a touchdown. So uh, the running game continues to produce for Carolina. The passing game obviously still has some amount of uncertainty. And he's just sub-7,000 on FanDuel. And I think he's the highest points per dollar projected guy on DraftKings for us as well. Yeah, so I'm I'm just into Davis. I, th- I think you got enough safety there. Running back is really tough this week, especially with a potentially looming prospect of Henry missing the week, to say nothing of any other teams that might get COVID. So, uh, yeah, Davis is where I'm starting things. Yeah, I think that makes sense. We've seen him just inhabit that McCaffrey role enough to the point where I think you, you, you feel really comfortable with the targets, you feel really comfortable with the carries, no matter what kind of the situation is. He had, he had, and he's playing enough of the snaps. He played 55 of the 77 offensive snaps this week, which is about as much as you're going to see most running backs play. And so just having that floor in terms of just you know simply just being on the field plus the plan is to just kind of get him the ball as well, I think you can feel really, really comfortable about it. And the price, it's one of those ones too where the price has come up and – it, it just hasn't come up enough yet. Like 6,800 on FanDuel is just still simply too cheap for where he's going to be. 6,400 on DraftKings is way too cheap considering it's a, it's a PPR format. And 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 yeah. by the way, uh, the matchup's really good. Like this game has a huge total, 53 and a half. Uh, so there's just this this really just does line up for, you know, you said running back's tough. I do think I agree with you, but I don't think it's tough for a guy like Davis. Like Davis is not a tough decision for me. Maybe some of the other ones. No, are it's tough. not. But I'm saying. When it all comes out, I don't think like because some weeks uh, there was an earlier week where there were a few really great chalk plays like Miles Sanders and Jonathan Taylor, and so um, there was a next tier of I think that was the, actually the week that we left Davis off, um, and I think this week is not going to be one of those. I think Davis is going to be probably 
uh, by far the highest owned running back on the slate. Um, I think people will probably go to Zeke, which I discussed before. And then I think they may be mixing and matching in the flex position. But yeah, I think Davis is a staple. Um, so speaking of the next guys, uh, I'm curious to know what you think of Jarek McKinnon. So McKinnon's a guy we ran in cash two weeks ago. Uh, he was, was good uh, against the Giants. He wound up scoring 15.2 fantasy points on what was a $5,700 salary at the time. Oh, I'm sorry. We played him against... Yeah, no, it was the Giants, yeah. yeah. And then we didn't play him last week against Philly. Uh, but the snap count went sky high, over 90% for him. He wound up scoring 19.2 fantasy points, including eight targets in the passing game. McKinnon, now 6,400, another dream spot going up against the Dolphins. Obviously, it's a the quarterback situation almost assuredly has to be worse, but I'm not so sure that's bad for McKinnon when it all comes out in the wash. How would you feel about going back to the well on McKinnon once again? Yeah, I mean, I was super annoyed when I saw the snap counts a week after we played him, uh, even though he was fine against the Giants, so I can't... Sure, he also lost time in a blowout in that Giants game too, right? So, you know, he was getting a higher snap count early, and then they kind of went to Jeff Wilson Jr. in the second half once the game was already in hand. And so that's part of my issue, is that, like, I'm wondering, you know, how much of how much of what just happened on the field where they were playing catch up last week precipitated him getting all of these, these snaps, right? Because we saw that when they, when they're running downhill, um, Jeff, Jeffrey Wilson Jr. They, they easily can give him double digit touches, right? And they were playing catch up this whole game against Philly. And so he ends up staying on the field sort of in like that pass catching role. I'm, I'm comfortable with it. Let me, I'm definitely comfortable with it. And I, can definitely also see a world where it goes right back to splitting snaps again. And it's probably still fine at the price and the production and considering like, you know, just where Miami is in terms of just being like not very good. So I think all that lines up okay. And I definitely wouldn't project him to get 20. I don't think, I think 21 touches like he had last week is probably like the max. And that's still a lot. And that's still good. It's still, it's good enough to play in cash, I think, but I don't, I don't think we're tr- I don't think we're going to see a, a higher touch count than that, right, going forward. Mm-hmm. And so that's the only part that has me a little wary. Now, luckily, he's cheap enough that the uh, sixty four hundred on Fanduel, um, and I think he's even cheaper on DraftKings. Uh, oops, I had it in front of me and I don't have it. I'll get it in one second. Anyway, um, his price is yeah, sorry, fifty eight hundred on DraftKings. That one's a little closer, probably, um, but you do like to see the PPR thing. So I'm going there with a little trepidation in that I don't think that last week is going to be the every week kind of plan for him and I think the price is probably just fine yeah I pretty much feel the same way I I think at this time it's worth just going through you know because you might be listening to this podcast if you haven't really checked in on the week yet you might be uh, confused by an endorsement like McKinnon but you know among the top guys so Zeke which you know we'll talk about in a second but he's a an obvious cash game candidate Derrick Henry Against Buffalo, so tough matchup. Also, just might not play. Who knows? Um, Josh Jacobs going up against Kansas City as a huge dog. Absolutely not. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire going back the other way. The opportunity has been uh, somewhat hit or miss. Miles Sanders going up against Pittsburgh, who's had by far the best rushing defense so far this year. They're big dogs. You, you can't consider touching it. Jonathan Taylor is doing the thing where he and Hines are both getting a lot of touches. Then we're at Kareem Hunt, and it kind of goes down from there. I don't. I just think running back is tough this week. That's that's my my lasting impression of how I feel about it. And I think taking savings at a tough position rather than forcing it with a guy who might be a little bit more expensive, might have slightly you know more secure role, is just not the plan. So yeah, for that last slot, uh, and maybe you know hopefully we'll have the money to afford it. I do think Zeke has a big week this week. Cowboys 
eight and a half point favorites over the Giants, which by the way, now you have a one and three team who's eight and a half point favorites over a different team. I think we'll see Zeke return to what he had in those first couple weeks, which is, you know, 20 plus carries, uh, four to five plus targets and, you know, 20 plus fantasy points. I think that's basically a lock. Like if you, if you really want safety out of position this week, you start with Zeke and then you fill in the slots around him. Um, and you, you know, in terms of just, you know, at home favorites, you know, in terms of running backs that we can, I don't feel pretty good about Zeke is definitely there. Um, how do you rank Zeke next to CEH? Cause they're 12 and a half point favorites and they've had no problem giving him the ball. And I'm just curious cause, uh, CH is a little bit cheaper, at least on FanDuel, 1100 cheaper. Uh, I think it's the difference is maybe more material uh, on DraftKings where Clyde Edwards Hilaire is only 6,800, but would you, would you put him in that Z category? They just stole this. The touches just aren't there enough because he, he is cheaper, but it's also just like one of those huge home favorite kind of things. Yeah. So it's, it's tricky with CEH for me because, well, there's two reasons. So first of all, we know that there are games like, so against LA, he had 10 carries, eight targets, which is okay. Um, we turned that into just 70 yards, which is not okay. Against New England last week, he had 19 touches in a game where the game script theoretically should have really favored him, and it just didn't come in. And then the other piece with him that, that is really starting to crop up for me is the touchdown equity. After week one, you know, watching that game, I think we watched that one together, you know, he was electric, but in short yardage situations, he did have difficulty. He's not a guy that can make tacklers bounce off him necessarily. He's more of a shifty and crafty guy. He hasn't scored a touchdown since, and I think at some point, weighing that touchdown equity makes sense like you can't it can't always be bad luck when it comes to running backs getting in the end zone so of course that could be a turnaround this week they are big favorites I, I don't mind it I know he's showing up highly for us right now but I'm just sure at the end of the day or I'm not sure at the end of the day if our comfort level is going to be there um, if we can find the savings on Zeke I think I'd prefer to pay up yeah, uh, I'm with you there. And like I said, we're going to get stuck with not having to be able to pay even this top tier for everybody. Uh, there are a couple of interesting guys, and we'll have to wait on wait and see it on this Tennessee thing with Derrick Henry as well. So uh, there will be things that kind of switch around, I think, before Sunday. Let's talk wide receivers. Um, are we willing to trust Amari Cooper as just a bananas targets guy now? Because now we have four weeks. He's easily He leads the league in targets. But I don't know how much of that is, you know, predicated on what we talked about with Zach, or Zach, geez, Dak, that, uh, I'm thinking Zeke and Dak at the same time, and that's how you get Zach. The, uh, <laughs> how much of it is just that they're just throwing so much, and he's still, like, his target share, even for a regular, I'm putting regular in quotes, a regular amount of passing attempts, still looks pretty elite. Like, are we willing to finally buy Amari Cooper as a top three or four targets guy in the NFL? Because he's top one right now through four weeks, but is this something that you think is going to continue or are we just going to be left out in the cold when inevitably Dallas just starts throwing fewer passing attempts because they almost just have to? Yeah, so when you go back to Dallas's one normal game on the season, which was against the Rams, Cooper still had 14 targets in that game. And I think I'm pretty comfortable with him at this point as just a raw high target volume guy. Obviously, like paying the increasingly high prices doesn't feel amazing, but I think you can kind of grin and bear it. And you know, what's the what's the right number of targets to project him for? I mean, we've talked about how, like I think at the end of last year, only one guy had averaged more than 10 targets a game who had played all 16 games. Cooper now averaging, like, is it 14? Um, so I don't think that can sustain. But right. 
could, could 10 sustain over the course of the season? It sure seems like it, right? So, yeah, I think he's a, a very solid option here. And, you know, it's one of those things where if you're if, if this is the week where he goes down and gets six targets, then I'm comfortable being wrong on that. And, you know, he's cheaper than the upper echelon guys. And I think you're still getting basically wide receiver one production. So, yeah, I'm good to go on, on Cooper. Yeah, uh, right now he is his median targets are 13 and his average are 12.75. So when we have him for 11 targets, and I think that's probably a fine number. And it, also, and it definitely still feels weird considering it's it's always funny to give this guy, guy this many targets when they have so many other guys around them. Like, it's easy to give DeAndre Hopkins that many targets when he's competing with Christian Kirk or Larry Fitzgerald, right? Like, um, Or Michael mm-hmm. Thomas when it's really just Alvin Kamara and nobody else. With Cooper, it's weird because you're like, well, there's also CeeDee Lamb and there's also Gallup, and they also want to give the running back a ball a ton, and they've thrown the Schultz, and they've thrown the Cedric Wilson. Like, there's just a lot of other dudes in this team, and I think part of it is because how much they've just thrown in general, but it just is funny to give a guy that – we've never given a guy this many targets when he has this many other guys around him, I guess is my point. And that's my – that's the only thing that kind of gets me feeling a little bit a little bit uncomfortable about it. After him, I'm, I'm fully we, – we did it last week. I'm, I fully believe in Robbie Anderson now. There, Robbie Anderson. Sure. I think I think the days were, you know, it's like oh he was like you know deep threat or bust like Deshaun Jackson light like that was kind of what he was when he was played for the Jets, um, where he just you know, get the ball downfield, score a long touchdown, and otherwise you'd never see him. Uh, he's just not that guy anymore. He's a top ten target guy, converting at an absolutely crazy eighty two percent. That's the second highest among that top group of guys. Robbie Anderson, are we willing to believe Robbie Anderson is just a top target guy because that has not been the book on him, and now it kind of is the book on him. Yeah, this is one that I I struggle with because we've talked often about how wide receivers going into new situations are a red flag. But at least in Anderson's case, it seems like he's also being used a little bit differently. And he had such bad quarterback play in New York that like I'm starting to wonder if maybe he's just been this good all along. And that's kind of like it's kind of giving me an uncanny valley feeling because like when I see Robbie Anderson, my my gut is that I'm going to see either like yeah, he catches 11 balls on 13 targets and he wins you a big tournament or he gets like nine targets and catches two. But that just hasn't been the case this season. Um, you know, he did have that kind of no show target wise against the Chargers, which you certainly don't love to see. The touchdowns have kind of surprisingly not been there for him just yet. But yeah, I think in terms of just raw target share, I think we can pretty safely say that it's going to be there. And, and yeah, for that reason, I think we need to probably throw out the conversion rates from the past and trying to build from this new, albeit smaller sample here. Yeah, uh, that's kind of that's really what it is, and I think that we have a new situation where they're obviously getting him, you know, getting him the ball more than he got in the past. Probably better quality looks as well, uh, and just like a better offense. And so, you know, whatever you want to say about the team in general, and I think that that's that's where I'm. I, I'm through four weeks, I'm willing to believe. I was willing to believe in the situation going into last week too. So this is like not necessarily a new thing, but. Um, you know, and he just goes out and just has another good week. So good matchup uh, against Atlanta, who's really gotten torched by uh, in the passing game this season. So uh, I'm fine. I don't think Robbie Anderson, like sort of actually, it's funny about that, Robbie Anderson. I don't think Robbie Anderson's price has ticked up in the same way DJ Moore's price. We were on DJ Moore for like eight weeks in a row last season because the targets were just always there and the price never really moved. That's kind of where I am with Anderson right now. 6,200 on FanDuel. Uh, that's probably just going to be a lock for us. Uh, and then even the 5,900 on DraftKings, um, he just gets enough targets. And I think that's, I think I'm just comfortable with it. Even when you look at and see the name Robbie Anderson, you don't really think that, but that's because that's the Robbie Anderson of old, and we're just getting a new version here. Uh, two wide, two uh, decent wide receivers on bad teams. I usually don't like going the uh, bad team, good wide receiver route, but I do have Terry McLaurin and DJ Chark here. 
McLaurin's been getting the ball. They've really, really targeted him a lot. He's another top 10 target guy. He has 39 targets this season. That ranks sixth overall in the NFL. Not a great conversion rate, but that's because he has Dwayne Haskins there. And then DJ Chark, who had been sort of in and out of the injury list, he sat out a game in week three, really bounced back in week four. Uh, I guess, you know, the, the quarterback play from Minshew is better than from Haskins. How do you feel when you see wide receivers like this that you know they're on bad teams and maybe the quarterback isn't like as good as you would really hope for but it does seem like the targets are there yeah i'd much rather play mclaren than shark i think shark we're just chasing one good week basically at this point and that's just not in my experience a recipe for success but i think mclaren is very interesting um even if i'll, I'll concede that shark's quarterback play almost certainly has to be better right um, but for whatever reason, the targets at McLaurin's way are still very high value. Uh, 14 targets against a really tough Baltimore defense, and McLaurin turned that into 10 catches for 118 yards. I just think he's excellent, you know, and I think he's got a connection with Haskins there. Um, the Rams, you know, it's not another, it's not a cupcake matchup by any means, but Washington still has to go take the field for 50 offensive plays or whatever, right? So I think they've got to do something, and McLaurin seems to be the one thing that's sort of working. So. Yeah, I'd be comfortable with him in cash. Shark is not a guy I'm, I'm hoping to play in cash this week. Yeah, um, I, I push back a little bit on the one good week. I, we've seen multiple good weeks from him if you date back to last year with the exact same situation. Um, probably not a not he's he's not gonna we can't project him for the same amount of targets I think we can for McLaurin. But this isn't like a brand new situation guy. Like we've seen multiple double digit target weeks that he had last year. He had four double digit targets. He had you know eight nine. So it's not like. It's not just one good game this year. It's there. There was there's there's some history here, and I still agree with the overall sentiment of, I do think the targets from going McLaurin's way, are likely to sustain probably better or at least be more consistent on a week to week basis than Sharks would be. Um, well, so yeah, and I, I guess my point on Shark is that yeah he had some good games last year, but of the data points we have this season of having nine targets last game being great. But then having four and three, and I know there have been some like injury concerns there as well, but I just don't know how he's in. Yeah, I just don't think he can be in the same discussion safety-wise as a guy like McLaurin for me. I mean, I just don't. And with all the options we have at wide receiver, like like I'd probably rather play Robbie Anderson at 7,000 than play DJ Shark at 7,000. And we could play 800 less for Robbie Anderson. So I just don't know where Shark ultimately fits in to cash games if, you know, at least by my estimation, if as you go down the list, he just loses one-to-one against all these other options. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't like replacing, I guess, one for the other necessarily as much as just kind of putting them all in the same, putting them in the, the relatively same class. Let's finish this off with tight ends. Um, uh, by the way, I will get to this game by game. There's a couple of cheaper wide receivers that I think are like outside cash plays, but we'll go through them in the cash game podcast when we go through it tomorrow. Tight ends, uh, George Kittle. Sat for two weeks, um, although it was unclear if he sat the second time because they just didn't want to play him in that Giants turf. Uh, didn't look any worse for wear coming back, coming back in week four. was Went absolutely crazy. I never want to pay up for tight ends because it's just tight ends and these guys disappear more than any other position. But are we paying up for George Kittle this week? It looks like we probably are. Um, tight end, as always, is really bad this week. And I know I say that essentially every week. But if you go through the actual options you're faced with, I don't think anyone would argue for paying more for Kelsey or Andrews based on what we've seen from them so far and basically what we saw from Kittle last week. Uh, the Niners are pretty low on options at this point, and yeah, they were playing catch-up like you said, but um, with the new quarterback situation, the offense is just going to have a tough time probably. And when you have one play 
and this just must drive George Kittle just insane generally because he like what did he set the record for most tight end receiving yards two seasons ago and then he just kind of like they're like we'll get you a few targets buddy okay just relax like from time to time we'll pass you the ball um but yeah last week against Philly 15 targets 15 receptions so pretty good plays there 183 yards and a touch he's very obviously better than the more expensive guys than him uh then you have Darren Waller right below him I think he's very obviously a better play than Darren Waller even though Waller's targets ticked up again last week and then from there you're just in the the who knows poo-poo platter of tight ends guys that get six targets a game or you know you're just kind of praying for a touchdown um so I think you're probably just wind up paying Kittle. I think you can afford it as well this week with some value. You know, if you can pay two of those mid $6,000 running backs and, you know, all the wide receivers we discussed, with the exception of Cooper, were in the mid 6000s too. So I do think you wind up having the money left over. Um, if for some reason you don't, I think you have a lot of guys that are all pretty similar to me. You know, um, like Evan Ingram, he had 10 targets last week. Okay. Like, you know, we've right. seen... Noah Fant gets some targets from time to time. Johnny Smith, I think, is in that group. If the Tennessee Titans wind up playing, uh, if they don't, then who knows? Um, you know, Philly's tight end situation is kind of a question mark. I don't know. It's just, it, it's bad enough to me. Like, oftentimes we have to ask ourselves, would I pay for a wide receiver at this price point with this production? And most tight ends don't pass that test. I think Kittle actually does. And I think these cheaper guys are just so bad and so unpredictable that I'm comfortable just not signing up for a potential zero and <laughs> just paying up paying up for Kittle this week. But I don't know what your read is because it is unusual. I mean, when was the last time we paid up for a tight end? It's It's been quite a while. It's been a while. Um, we just don't really do it. Uh, it's funny, Kittle, so I just looked this up real quick. Kittle is tight end six in DraftKings uh, scoring so far this season, and he's played two games. And everyone above him has played two more games than him. And he's the sixth. He's already the sixth highest total DraftKings points scoring <laughs> tight end sure. in the league, which is – it really – it kind of speaks more to the position than it does to Kittle. Like, I think it's more – I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a feather in Kittle's cap for being so good. But it's also just a knock on all these other guys that, like, one guy can almost catch – like, he, this guy, he, he would have been lapping these guys if he just played all four games, right? But, but – uh, and, Well, and, sure. But, I mean, to be fair, last game was like, that will be the best tight end game of the season in all likelihood. For sure, but none <laughs> of these other guys – but so few of these other guys even have it in them, I guess is my point, right? It's like – so it, – it, it, Yeah, it's, absolutely. It's one thing if you get, like – Okay, so it's one thing if you get like a huge Robert Tanyan game, who we can maybe t- you know he's another they're not playing this week, but like so you're like okay, are we gonna get another two touchdown huge yard game from Tanyan? Probably not. Um, could we see? Is there a world where Kittle does this again? There is. That's my only point is that he has it in them in a way yeah, that like it, that even guys like Mark Andrews I would put I say he does not have that in on every week basis. Noah Fan, I mean he got hurt, but you know what I mean. These guys that are above him just don't. Kittle, even if he, even if Kittle had just kind of walked onto the field those other two games, he'd probably be tight end two at worst right now. <laughs> um, and for sure, and that's just that's just kind of where I land. So it's really just more it's more knocking the other tight ends, and as much as it is uh, uh, a way to say, sort of tip your cap to how good he is. Any other tight ends to consider here before we get out? No, not really. I think you're going to keep your eye on kind of that lower range, like I said, and you know there are situations where targets can get consolidated into one tight end. You know. Keep an eye on the injury article that we'll put out later this week. But right now, I'm have a hard, having a hard time seeing it. I suppose some people might talk themselves into Zach Ertz. He's a little cheaper than Kittle. Uh, Goddard went down last week. He's on the IR now. And that leaves Ertz theoretically back into his old role. But I don't know. Like, he's 600 cheaper than Kittle. Is that really 
where I want to land, <laughs> you know, taking that 600 in savings for a guy who just kind of randomly lost his starting job. I don't know. So yeah, it's close. It's, it's all, nothing is going to feel good. I don't think at tight end this week. So when in doubt there, I'm just going to probably take a guy who I think will get 10 targets and call it a day. Yeah, uh, I think that's where I land too. We're going to be back tomorrow talking uh, every game on the main slate or what's left of the main slate. After uh, my phone's been ringing here because it's been more positive testing uh, as we've uh, even as we've been recording this. So whatever's left of the main mm-hmm. slate, we'll discuss that or what we know uh, in our game by game podcast tomorrow. Uh, you can go over to dailyfantasysportsrankings.com uh, and check out our uh, uh, premium membership that's uh, free for seven days and then just twenty nine ninety five after that. It's optimal lineups for Fanduel and DraftKings. NFL, baseball, where we're still rolling through the playoffs, NBA in these one-game slates, almost almost done with the finals, Uh, NHL when that comes back around. It's all covered in the one subscription pack. PGA, we've got a big tournament this week uh, with the Shriners. Uh, Not that big, but a good, nice field. Uh, So it's all covered in the one subscription package. DFSR.com slash deals will get you started on that. Buddy, talk to you tomorrow when we roll through every game on the main slate. Let's do it.